everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church. This episode is a follow-up to last week's episode, number 174, Is the Cure Worse Than the Disease? In that episode, we talked about how to think through the role of government and politics in our lives as Christians, especially in light of COVID-19 decisions. What we didn't cover was, how should and shouldn't we be political as Christians and as a local church? That's the question that Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, and Jill Reese, who is on staff, are going to answer today. As always, if you have more questions like this, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Jill. I'm here with Nick. Before we dive in, I want to mention that we're going to be hosting something called Secret Church. It's an event we've done in the past as a church. It's done by David Platt through uh, the ministry called Radical, and it's a simulcast already. So <laughs> conveniently, we can still have that event happen. It's on April 24th, and the theme, uh, this the topic this time is God, government, and the gospel, which is a lot of what we're going to be talking about. So you can also put that in your calendars and sign up at highpointchurch.org slash secretchurch. Yes. But yes, we'll dive into the questions of how we as Christians and the a local church should and shouldn't be political. Um, so first, Nick, let's talk about how we should not be political. Um, and there's going to be a blog posted on this tomorrow um, with more of like this all spelled out too, if you want to check that out. But um Nick, what what is it that we actually don't like when Christians are quote unquote political? Okay, can we? I want to I want to do just a tiny bit of review to give a oh, context great. for this sure. in case people jump in here. Yep. So one of the things I said last time was virtually all of the biblical authors either intentionally engaged in political speech and action, or were perceived as engaging in political speech or action mm-hmm. by the people they were speaking to. So Jesus may not have said, I'm a political figure, depending on how he was asked the question, because he believed he was coming to bring in a kingdom, which is a political category. But he would have said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he would have said, I'm not really saying something that's politically relevant to who Caesar is or isn't, right? Mm-hmm. But he, Jesus was killed as a political criminal. Paul was imprisoned and ultimately killed as a political criminal. The Old Testament prophets spoke about how the country was treating poverty, the poor, um, orphans and widows, whether or not it was doing what was right as a people and so on. So so A, the biblical authors, the biblical speakers, Jesus himself, the apostles were all seen by the culture they were in as saying things that were politically relevant. Okay. So that is the Bible in mm-hmm. Christian history is full of what is perceived at least by some people as political speech and is definitely within the, the social sphere of morality and even economics, which is the realm that we consider political in many ways, right? And then mm-hmm. secondly, whether or not the church can engage or should engage politically is partly determined by how total the political scope is in the culture, how much in a culture or society is considered mm-hmm. political. If almost nothing is considered political, right? If you're like in a tribe and every in co- the culture is the politics, then no, almost no claim is a political claim. And so nothing in Christianity is really felt as political. If you're in a society that has totalitarian politics, right, where Benito Mussolini said it this way, everything is inside the state, nothing is outside the state. That's totalitarianism. Totalitarian mm-hmm. politics is everything you say is political and nothing you say is not political, right? When you believe the kind of coffee that you buy, the kind of straw you drink with is a political statement. 
then the idea that the church cannot be political is insane. It's mm-hmm. just, it's not a remote possibility mm-hmm. because literally everything is political. Yeah. And what I contended in the last podcast was that we are living in a culture now in which um, God is being replaced in the minds of people with the government. Our, our political way of seeing the world is becoming more of a secular religion and more all-encompassing. Everything inside the politics, nothing outside the politics. And so more and more Christians and churches, if they're going to say anything, those things that they're saying are going to be perceived as political statements. Mm -hmm. And so if Christian faith Mm -hmm. impacts corporeal life at all, like the life we're living around in the body Mm -hmm. and how we spend our money, what we do and what we believe is right and wrong, then we will be making what many will consider to be political speech. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people be like, oh yeah, I agree with that. But I still don't like it when churches are political. Right. So one of the things I try to do in the blog is to say, okay, what is it we really don't like? Right. Right? So for some Mm -hmm. people, I don't want a voter form. I don't want you to send me anything that tells me about candidates. I don't care how nonpartisan. I don't want that for my church. Mm -hmm. I don't see why that's an objective fact. Right. It could be a preference. Like I don't like chocolate ice cream and I don't like that for my churches. You're allowed to have preferences about churches. You're not allowed to leave and go to churches because of them or create dissension about it, but you can definitely have feelings about it that are preferential or not. Right. But I wrote down how many did I write down Jill five things that I think people really dislike and that I think are, are, I think three of them I think are legitimate and two, I think are a problem with us. Okay. Yeah. So, um, f- we, and you talk about how we have to distinguish like what we actually dislike. So some of these things, the first one is um, pastors usually do not have the economic or policy making competence to declare with confidence what policy should be pursued. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember a pastor when I, way before I was a pastor say, don't say as a Christian, like what should be done in things like what kind of affordable housing should be built? Mm-hmm. Well, as a Christian, I think this kind of affordable housing should be built. Well, you know, there's probably multiple answers to that question, right? The right answer might change in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the idea that because you're a Christian, you're now listen, if you are a housing expert and a Christian, you might have put the two together well and you may have some really good ideas about it. Mm-hmm. When you know when I see, I mean, sometimes I see like pastors say, "Well, this is definitely the right policy, or this is the right politics, or this this, this person's the right candidate." They mm-hmm. don't know the candidate at all personally. Mm-hmm. They're making the sounds they think are right, or they think this policy is better than that. One. But policy is actually a very precise, very difficult, extremely complicated field of both research mm-hmm. and creation, and it's one of the reasons why Washington is so full of lobbyists. Because basically none of our politicians have the expertise to write any of the legislation they're actually writing. Mm-hmm. They don't have, I mean, they don't know about like water flow systems in floodplains in central Missouri, right? They need mm-hmm. to do that for them. Now, in that case, they would have the Army Corps of Engineers do it, but it's still not them, right? Mm-hmm. So even the policymakers themselves know relatively little about the policies that they're making. Because mm-hmm. our government makes such different and, and diverse policies. You might be really mm-hmm. good on like foreign affairs. That doesn't mean you're going to be good on like interior mall zoning, right? Mm-hmm. So 
there's all that kind of stuff. So I just think it's silly when pastors get up and they're like, well, I think this or that politically in terms of policy or candidates. I think it can mm-hmm. be really problematic because why would we be competent or any more competent than anybody else to know that? I think people rightly dislike that. Yeah. And it seems like in the last podcast we had talked about being becoming politically captured, it seems like that could lead people to become politically captured and mistake it for um, teaching about faith in and the gospel. Yes. Yeah. And so I, th- I think that a pastor can say, I think that this policy is outside of the scope right. of Christian options. Mm-hmm. So for example, I think as a pastor, I can say, listen, I think elective abortion is outside the scope of Christian options. Or I think um, doing nothing about lower income housing in an affluent city maybe beyond the scope of Christian options. It might not be, but it mm-hmm. might be, right? You might be able to say something like that. But I think that, I think you can say, like, for example, President Trump is known for being pretty crass, right, in certain situations. I think mm-hmm. you can say as a Christian, I think, I don't think, a, I don't think a leader should speak that way, right? That's a, mm-hmm. that's a policy of how somebody carries themselves, right? I think you can do that. But, I, but most things, I, I think you just got to be really, really, really careful. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, okay. that, that makes sense. So two, pastors can confidently declare, quote, the state of things, end quote, when it is obvious that they have swallowed some partisan media sources perspective. Right. Media capture can be as bad a problem as political capture. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me read some mm-hmm. of this. When yeah. pastors or church leaders are attending to popular media outlets, it's easy to fall into media capture by getting one's news from sources with a partisan political agenda and that deliver news on the popular level. This happens mm-hmm. just as much from listening to CNN or MSNBC as to listening to Fox News. I, I say that I say that way because Fox News is often attacked as a highly partisan news source, which it is. However, I find myself mystified by people who believe that CNN or MSNBC or even NPR, NPR are not profoundly politicized in partisan news sources. As someone who studied political science and has a lot of experience with messaging, I cannot think of a singular popular level news source that presently exists that is not highly politicized. I should also note that media capture is also a huge problem in churches, leading to profound divisions between people. So, for example, Mm -hmm. when people say, like, well, don't you know what's happening in our country? Right? The progressives are ruining everything, or Trump is a dictator, or whatever. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. No, maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But you see, if you're the kind of person who isn't part of that media capture, you're like, I know what news sources you've been listening to. I'm going to name three. You listen to one of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think that it's it's very easy to do that because people don't want to get news from multiple sources. And they certainly, they certainly do want to get their news on the popular level. And most people, like mm-hmm. when I was growing up, I listened to Dan Rather on the CBS News every night at six o'clock every night. And as a kid, he seemed like a perfectly unbiased, objective news guy. I mean, I would have thought that he just was reading it off the page. That that's just the way it is. Right. I had no idea that he was like a democratic party mm-hmm. operative. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know yeah, how much it affected my view of anything. Right. But the right. thing is it's in those days, like this is back in the eighties and nineties. In mm-hmm. those days mm-hmm. you were expected to sound as objective as possible. Mm-hmm. In many cases, especially with cable news and even major news sources, like some people think it's just Fox News and MSNBC. It's not. It's CNN and it's NPR. NPR just does it in a sophisticated, like urbane, like artsy-ish kind of way. But they're they're no less politically 
motivated or politically captured than Fox News, in my opinion. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've, mm-hmm. I, I, like, I know this. I've studied political science. My whole life is about messaging. Like, I can tell what's being done to people as they listen when I listen to sources of media. And, and NPR is the one that drives me the most nuts. Most of the shows I can't even listen to, especially the news and political shows and the discussion shows. It's, it's just the assumptions in every question are also mm-hmm. in the bag progressive assumptions that all, all you can have are progressive answers and all you can have is a progressivist discussion. And so everything comes from that slant. It's just the air everything breathes. You don't have to actually say, I'm for this or I'm for that. And that's the kind of in- intelligent, educated, urbane way to move people's conceptions of certain things rather than on an MSNBC where a host will just say, Donald Trump is the devil. Or on a Fox News where they'll just be like, these people are ruining our country, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody would be as unsophisticated as that, unlike an NPR. But that doesn't mean NPR isn't partisan. It's incredibly partisan. It may be one of the most partisan news sources in the entire country, right? So, mm-hmm. so I, and that, so I that's think what when makes you get it tricky. From, yeah. That makes it tricky because you might, you don't know when you're captured then, especially if it sounds sophist- sophisticated and it's wrapped in sophistication. Yeah, and you, but, you, it just seems very. It seems more um, neutral that way. Yeah. Yes, but like one of the things I've said in other things is like I liked. I, sometimes I like. I really like to use think tanks because a lot of their mm-hmm. stuff gets refereed. It gets criticized. It gets discussed, and it's and like I said before, news is usually worthless because it's in, inconsequential because it's not a sample, mm-hmm. right? It's just not a sample. You don't know what's going on based on a news story. You can get upset about it, but that doesn't mean like, so for example, in a country of 350 million people, okay, if a, let's say in this case, if a white guy with not very many teeth that looks like he might've been doing a lot of meth gets shot and killed by a police officer. And it turns out that that young man was unarmed when shot. Does that mean we have a problem in this country with police killing young white meth heads? Well, the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. We'd actually have to look at shooting incidents in police departments across the country. We'd have to collate them with other statistics. You know, we'd have to look at a lot of things to find out if we've got a problem rather than an incident. Cause in a mm-hmm. country of 350 million people, you're going to have a lot of incidents that don't necessarily tell us anything about our society. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And so, yes, that does make I, sense. so I would much, so for example, when I want to know about crime, I don't listen to news stories about crime. I look at global and national and statewide crime statistics if mm-hmm. I think they're credible, right? And if I want to know about how to help poverty, I don't listen to news stories about poverty. I read I read reports from the Brookings Institution and Cato and AEI and places where they're really trying to come up with policy proposals based on long-term research and looking at broader data. And those stories take just as long to read as news stories, but they're just not sensational. And they're mm-hmm. and and if they're captured, I know the position it's being. I know when I read Brookings, I know that this is kind of a centerish, leftish, positional think tank. When I read AEI, I know they are free market oriented and therefore on the political right think tank. I know that they're not trying to hide it, right? But mm-hmm. they are trying to persuade people, and so that way, because you're not going to find like all this completely objective, nonpartisan stuff to read. You might as well read stuff from serious people who are trying to be objective who are very open mm-hmm. about their beliefs. I would much rather read mm-hmm. somebody who's very op- open about their convictions 
but who's also trying to be objective and persuade people that don't believe like them, that know that their mm-hmm. argument is going to get tested in open debate. That's like, for example, one of the one of the sources I like on the right is a, a place called ricochet.com because in their member feeds, when people will post ideas, there's mm-hmm. like four or 5,000 people that read in that stuff. And so you're likely to get, like if you say something about agriculture, you're going to get a farmer from Nebraska like writing in a substantial con and everybody who's in there pays to be there. So there's no trolls. So there are certain environments like in, and like there'll be somebody who's like a university professor in agricultural policy. And all those mm-hmm. people will pipe in with these very erudite, good criticisms. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and spending what, five minutes there does way more than watching the mm-hmm. nightly news. In my opinion, I just don't even bother. Mm-hmm. What I'm pulling from what you're saying is that is, is to be aware of how much um, media is trying to just get us to read more through. I mean, it's, it's yeah, a lot their, of their goal is marketing. Right. Their goal is marketing and because they're trying to gain revenue, which is no, right. which is totally normal. I mean, you can't fault right. them for that. And yeah. most people don't want to pay for stuff that isn't free now. Right. So most people and don't so, want to pay for a newspaper because mm-hmm. it's like three hundred bucks a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah, that's coffee. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to know that their goal. Right, it's not, and it's not even wrong in itself that this is their goal. But their goal right. is to get you to read more, and so they're going to feed on different things than just giving you the information. Right, and even nonprofit groups are still feeding on the interest of their donors. Right, right. Every organization mm-hmm. has some economic model by which they have to gain the revenue necessary right. to continue, and so a, a lot of times that is riling people up. You got to rile up the mm-hmm. base because the base is who gives. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 So, I, so, and so I think Pete, what people don't like is pastors who think that they know the quote, the state of the, the way things are. Cause the thing is, is like, I'll get up there and I'll be like, I think this, but if you go down the street, another pastor can say something totally different. Right. And everything's they yeah. know. But the fact, in fact is I'm a citizen functioning as a pastor in a society. I don't know squat. Nobody knows mm-hmm. squat. Even if you even if you digest the news all day long, you still have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. In a country as complex yes. as ours, no one has any idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And only a very small tip of the iceberg is getting shown to us. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the, yeah. Bl- the desire for us to believe we know what's going on mm-hmm. is psychological catnip for human beings. There's something in the human mm-hmm. psyche we want to believe we're in the know. We know what's going on. We're not going to be left out. We're not going to be the out group. We're going to be in the right tribe. We're ready mm-hmm. for what's going to happen. And we feel morally smug about it. And so yeah, and if we you love, listen to the news yeah. all day, you're going to feel like you know what's going on because you yeah, just we love that. for so long. Yeah, it does stuff yeah. in our neurology that's kind of like, yeah. oh, I love this, right? And we want to yeah. believe that we, the, the world is comprehensible to us. Right. In mm-hmm. a in a political kind of way, like we know what's coming down the pipe and all that, mm-hmm. and to and to accept that the world is more complicated that we actually don't know what's going on, is mm-hmm. very disconcerting to people, and it makes them anxious. Right. And my mm-hmm. response is, well, if you're a Christian, God has offered you a way of understanding the world in a spiritual framework related to the gospel, and that allows you to function wisely and morally, and truthfully and with purpose in a world that you don't know where you don't know what's going on. Which is, yes. which is the truth. That's true. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going on and you mm-hmm. can know what is going on in the kingdom of God sufficiently to know what to do next. Right. Yeah, that's good. All right. 
Should we move Third, on to three? Yeah. Yeah. Three is preaching what is properly political and neglecting the properly theological. Right. So the word properly there is key. So there are some things that are properly political, mm-hmm. right? Like, where are we going to build a road? What will our police force look like? How do we prepare for the national defense? Right. There's some things that, that are political. And, thing, and so if a preacher is preaching about what is properly political, not just anything people would think has a political implication that could be part of the moral truth of Christian preaching. And then, and then they, and then they don't preach practical theology. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. Um, honest, honestly, I think that the, it's, I think it's the liberal churches that are some of the worst at this, at least in math, in the a place like Madison, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're in the majority here and, and they, the crowd likes what they say here. Right. And so they can say yeah. like the stuff I get from, I get the Wisconsin Council of Church emails and there's stuff in there about spirituality. There's some stuff in there about spirituality, but usually half or better is about, Hey, call your Senator and make them do this social policy. Cause we know, mm-hmm. we know. And I'm like, you one, you guys don't know. And two, this is more than half of what you do. And is that what humanism is? Is that when you get, when the, the church is one church together, is this all we produce? political action because that in my view that is what most of what they do mm-hmm. um now this also happens i think in southern areas where people who are on the red side of the scale are in the majority i think it happens at churches like like that too i, th- I think it happens it tends to happen in smaller like more rural areas yeah too i've seen that yeah it's a stereotype I, but yeah i think that can happen and, can happen. and so mm-hmm. um however i however part of the, the difference here is is um theological liberalism is more prone to this partly because their theology is different. So people of conservative theology, that is historical Christian theology, believe that Christ has offered a gospel for personal salvation to individual human beings Mm -hmm. that works through his church and then affects cultures more broadly. But sometimes it doesn't affect the culture. It's just a faithful witness in the culture. And so people like that tend to want to be on the local level preaching to individual people, right? Mm -hmm. Liberal theology as part of its theological framework believes in a more revolutionary understanding of how the world changes, including um, like restorational action through political action, reparation, and things that are just are more connected with political action. And so liberal theology, I think, has to be more careful about this because the natural push of their theology's structure moves towards mm-hmm. the social and the social action within the realm of the political. Now, that's not mm-hmm. necessarily bad. Right. If that mm-hmm. theology was correct, then perhaps those actions would be correct. Right. I think that theology is incorrect. Mm-hmm. And so and the result would wrong. be, would the result then be um, less mo- personal moral responsibility? Is that what you're saying? I think it could be. Yeah, I mean, I, I know be. some of, I know some of these pastors and they would say, absolutely not. No, we are hundred percent right. for personal moral responsibility. How part of the issue is is that like is that is the divide within progressivism, right? So within progressive politics and theology, the sort of upper crust of the of the uh, sophisticates live a bourgeois lifestyle. They get married; their marriages are very stable. Um, their kids grow up in two parent households, and so on, and they live these dictates of personal morality that are very bourgeois and, and, and like indistinguishable from a lot of conservative Republicans, right? Mm-hmm. But then what they say about the poor is, well, you can't expect young black women to marry young black men and to create these stable households like we do. It's just not possible. Now, arguably they're right. They might be right. I don't. I mean, that's again, I go back to like, what do we know? 
right? Like I, I listen to people speak sociologically about this stuff like they know and psychologically about this stuff like they know. But I mean, I've listened to people on both sides of it. I mean, Thomas Sowell, who's a black economist, would say, well, black people had extremely stable families until the welfare state. Mm-hmm. If you were a black child who was born in the 1950s, um, you were more likely to have two parents and a white kid. And he said, when I grew up in Harlem in the 1940s and 50s, I could sleep out on the veranda. I could go and sleep in the park. Nobody touched me. As a seven-year-old kid, I could walk down the street and buy a newspaper at four in the morning. And there weren't hookers and strippers throwing stuff at me. Right. And it was considered a great privilege when people in our family were able to get public housing in what, what became like the ghetto because you had to have like a certain moral standing in the community to be allowed to live in those places. And then by the night, by the 1960s, um, people could, you know, with all that, those kind of restrictions were taken away. Um, people could talk about how it was a indignity to live in those kinds of places. Right. After the welfare state was, so something like Thomas Sowell would be like, no, this has to do with an ideology of poor people and black people being incapable of living in a way that is structurally civilized, such as to create flourishing. And I think there's some truth to that. But then other people, like, but look at all the things perpetrated against poor people in this country, especially within urban contexts and the dislocation that comes from migration and service in war. Like poor people are more likely to be conscripted for our wars, including wars like Vietnam and so on. Right. So th- that side, that's a lot true. I, I, there's a lot of good stuff on that side too. And so I get mm-hmm. back to this, like, you know, be really careful about what you think, you know, and, right, and it therefore, could be both of those things, right? Well, I <laughs> and think it probably no, I is. Think it's doubtlessly, some some <laughs> right. strange and very intricate mixture of all those. Yeah. Things. And so, mm-hmm. the question the church has to ask is: Is there a golden action we can take to make things better? Mm-hmm. And in what ways can we engage in experimental actions and see if they work? Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah. so because of that, I think when pe- when pastors or churches act like preach about things that are properly political. And it seems like it's clear they're neglecting what is practically theological. People are like, I don't like that. My church is being political. And I think that's legit, mm-hmm. right? I think it's legit. And I think you see it in a number of churches. And I think what you should do if you go to a church like that and they're doing that is you should you should tell them that this is what you're perceiving and that you think the church should move in a different direction. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't send angry emails. I, I'd just be like, here's how I perceive this. Because the person is, who did it is trying to be rational and trying to do what's right. Your pastor's probably mm-hmm. doing trying to do what's right. And if you come at them really emotionally, then they probably, if they do what you say, it's because you intimidated them and because you got them to emotively react out of fear, which isn't what you want. Because the minute you leave, mm-hmm. they'll go back to what they were doing because they're not persuaded. So what I would do mm-hmm. is I would I'd talk to them usually in person and I'd say, hey, this thing, this is what I see is happening. I would really encourage you to go another direction for these reasons. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. Yep, that's good. Okay, four. The preacher or church attacks your political idols. Yes. So these last two, four and five, are things mm-hmm. that I think are um, people get upset about these because they perceive them as political and they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. That the church should preach about these things. This is how the church should be political. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and so if the church attacks one of your idols and it hurts your feelings, then so for example, if the church preaches on giving. Um, and you say, listen, giving is as important as paying your taxes. There, I, there are some people who get offended at that. Um, or you could say, listen, the church is the locus of social action for Christians. Mm-hmm. The local church is supposed to be the, the locus 
of Christians helping the poor. And you really should be giving much of what you would be interested in helping people who are poor through the local church so that the reputation of Jesus is connected with our helping of the poor. Well, there's there's plenty of people that think that the government programs are by far more competent and qualified to help the poor because they're staffed by experts. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, yeah. I, that I think you'd go back and say that maybe that's debatable. But, but there are some, like, for example, like if I just say, look, the state isn't God, like the state's never going to save you. Like if you think, you know what, we're going to beat this Donald Trump guy and we're going to get a good Democrat in there and we're finally going to have a sane and cordial society again. And we're going to go back to like a better normal. And I say to you, look, don't put your hope in government. Paul, every politician will disappoint you. Government will always disappoint you. And that's the way it should be. Government is a necessary evil, right? And it hurt that hurt your feelings, or the other way around. Be like, oh, we finally got Trump in there, and like he's gonna. No, he's not. Mm-hmm. He's not. Like, don't put your hope in him. Like, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a politician can affect some things so that the environment will be such that good good things can flourish. But um, most Western countries, I would say, most countries in the world right now, have erred on the side of putting way too much hope in government. And I think churches should speak against that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, and I that think that will a, hurt some people's feelings. Yeah. And I think a way to tell if there's an idol for you and that is that swing between hope or despair, depending on who is in office um, and what the, per, like if the pastor or your pastor is teaching about, if it's if it's plucking that fe- that visceral feeling of hope or despair, and that hope or despair is put in um, a political party, that's a red flag. Yeah, and I think I think this happens partly when um, when political parties have platforms that are not fully morally coherent, mm-hmm. at least in relationship to Christian doctrine. So if if you're a Democrat by sort of political conviction. And I say, listen, abortion is a horrific and terrible evil and you should care about it and you should wish to stop it. You could just feel emotionally like I'm put, you could even believe abortion's wrong, but you just believe in other things in the democratic platform. And that's why you're a Democrat. And you could be Mm -hmm. like, dang it, Nick, why do you have to throw that in my face? Because you know, that makes problems for me as a Democrat, right? Well, I Mm -hmm. don't care. Right. Or I could say, listen, you may want to feel like we're the, one of the least racist countries in the world. That doesn't mean there isn't racism in America, and it doesn't mean that racism doesn't need to be faced head on. And maybe some of our Democrat friends, I'm talking to Republicans now, maybe they're onto something and we should consider some of these things. There are some people, for example, on the political right, that when somebody utters the phrase white privilege, no matter what they mean by it, they just get all offended. Right? And mm-hmm. and I understand why, because in their experience of a certain political dialogue, the fact that white people can get like band-aids in their skin color amounts to some huge injustice. They, they're, they're frustrated by that, but the, but it doesn't mean that there isn't such a thing as a certain kind of racial privilege that can exist, mm-hmm. especially when that race is the majority race mm-hmm. that can function even completely subconsciously in the way people function. Right. Mm-hmm. And so obviously there's others, other examples of this, but um, mm-hmm. like, for example, you may not want to be burdened by the idea that, Christians should behave in certain ways as to help the poor. Right. And and I could come at you about that and say, listen, blah, 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 poverty. Right. And you might be like, uh, it just might annoy you. And that, but that annoyance may be a signal to the idolatry of being left alone about something moral and its relationship to things political. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yep. And five, um, we've touched on this a little bit, but another way that Christians should engage politically, um, but it might offend you, (laughs) is um, that some church preaching will disrupt our simple political view of the world. Yeah. It's it's human nature to want to have a view in our minds that explains the world. We talked about this a little bit before. Right. Yeah. The, pro- the problem is that the world is usually a lot more complicated than our than what we have in our minds, and so well-informed preaching about theology and politics may seem much more complicated than we want it to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this will be all the more true if we are the victims of media capture. Mm-hmm. So th- that that point is just about the fact that, like, if you're living in a world where you've ca- you have a simplistic political idea, and you think you know right good left bad or left good right bad or something mm-hmm. like that, or it's the Koch brothers, or it's George Soros that's the problem, or it's the blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, then if somebody does broach something like that in your church or from your pulpit, um, you're going to get all frustrated because they're going to treat mm-hmm. things more complicated than you want them to be. And that mm-hmm. can offend you. And I think that's a, that's a problem with us when we, when we, that happens, mm-hmm. you know, we want things to be simple and they're not. You know, like I remember, um, yeah. Dave, I can't think of the guy's name right now, but he's a Christian from California who wrote on the on the housing crisis in 2008, and he said basically it was everybody's fault. He's like, he's like, every everybody did the wrong thing. That's why we had such a crisis. Everyone, the government wanted to placate the political left and change standards so that people get loans they should never gotten. Right? The um, foreign investors wanted really badly to invest money in things that they couldn't, they didn't have anything better to invest in because people in Europe and in the far, the far East had stopped having children. And so there weren't sufficient younger generations in Europe and in places like Japan to, for older people to invest their money in because the way older people get on in life is younger people take on debt so that they can make their life. And Mm -hmm. older people tend to benefit from that because they're the ones being paid the interest, right? Well, when huge cultures around the world, drop their fertility rates to something like 1.3, there's no younger generation to invest in, right? So they go looking all over the world for younger generations to invest in. Well, younger generations, well, they have to buy houses. So they start investing in housing. Housing prices are appreciating and creating a bubble. Well, it's partly just because people refuse to procreate, right? All over the world. And then they dumped their money because they had to invest in something because they'd spent all their money. They hadn't saved it, right? And then in America, you had people saying, well, if houses are going to appreciate, let's just buy another home it's the best investment going. And I remember Lex and I almost did that in Florida. We almost bought a home that we weren't even going to live in because it was appreciating at 10% a year. Hmm. And we would have, we would have done that purchase in like 2006. So we would have ended up underwater if we would have done it, mm-hmm. you know? And I really wanted yeah. it. Was hard, it was hard to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like everybody, the, the popular, the, the mortgage companies, the house building companies, people all over the world, investing bundlers, normal citizens, everybody was complicit in this big problem. And yet, if you mm-hmm. ask somebody, what created the 2008 housing bubble? What people say is, well, it was the, go- Republicans will say, well, it was Fannie and Freddie Mac. It was the government, mm-hmm. right? And if you ask other people, they'll be like, well, it was racist practices or it was the big banks in Wall Street, the big banks in Wall Street, the blah, 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 blah. Well, yet that's also true. But it was more mm-hmm. complicated than that. And it came right down to people like us who mm-hmm. wanted to make a big buck owning another house, renting it out, and then selling it big. And mm-hmm. if those people hadn't existed, there would have not, there would have never been a housing boom into that, a housing boom and bust in 2008. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, 
Yeah. So, and when when your church actually draws you into a more complicated world like that to create a mental or emotional maturity towards the world we live in, that can really offend people, and it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. That's an area where we should repent of our one mm-hmm. thingism and our well, I understand the world in these simple terms, and these people are the enemy, the, because you know Jesus is wanting us to decrease the walls by which we name other people our enemy. Right. And to take personal responsibility for our contribution to conflicts and to mm-hmm. breakdowns. And when we live in that one thingism and though that like one reason for these things happen and those people are the enemy and our tribe did good and that tribe is bad, that that is moving away from what Jesus is trying to actually accomplish through love between us, not just mm-hmm. as individuals, but even in social groups. Right. Mm-hmm. Identity politics, for example. So let me just offend some Democrats and Republicans. Identity politics, whether it's the conservative kind or the mm-hmm. liberal kind, the progressive kind, is anathema to Christian faith. It's absolutely against Christian faith. There's a version of shared advocacy, right? Black people could be like, hey, this is stuff, this is going to be good for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. We should be, we should go for this. That's totally fine. That's just called solidarity when you're like, look, we mm-hmm. should be together on this because we all benefit from it. But when you say we're a tribe and we're the good tribe and those people are the bad tribe, that is anathema to Christian faith. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? And that's what we should engage in. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. um, So some more things on the positive side. Um, We've talked about a few, but um, if everything is political, then we must engage in direct acts of – of political, political like speech, in politi- action, political yes. speech, yeah, Christians and then should action. be engaging in political speech and action, and local churches should be engaging in political speech and action when that is what Christian faith demands, and they live in a mm-hmm. culture where everything is considered political. Mm-hmm. But yes. Christians, churches, and Christians, well, churches at least should very rarely engage what in what is properly political. But that's a whole mm-hmm. other podcast of political philosophy about yeah. what is properly political. It depends on which mm-hmm. what political philosophy you believe in. Mm-hmm. And there's like yeah. 15 to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But engaging in, in politics as a Christian is part of contextualization of the gospel because that's what matters to our culture. And that's, what, that's the mm-hmm. way that they're thinking. And those are the questions that they're asking. And so yeah. we do have to meet those with the gospel and with – what Jesus says right. and his truth. Yeah. I've been in ministry long enough now to be accused by young people when I talk with them, especially college young people or people who are politically active, that the church is is doing nothing politically, is doing too much politically, and is doing the wrong thing politically. Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways, um, people are going to be like, you know, I sang you a wedding song and you wouldn't dance. And then I played you a funeral dirge and you wouldn't cry. Mm-hmm. But, in some ways is the culture is always going to criticize the church in its, its behavior politically and morally and socially, but within the church that can happen too. But on one level, listen, we got to realize that politics is, a, is one of those terrible situations in human life where we don't know as much as we need to know. We don't understand it as clearly as we ought mm-hmm. and we have to do something. We can't bow out. Right? right. Like the problem is an election is going to happen this year. Yeah. Right. You're gonna have to vote for somebody. Yeah. You're not, not going to know them very well. You're not going to know the implications mm-hmm. of the policies that they say very well, right? You can try to do your best and then you got to mm-hmm. do something and you might vote mm-hmm. for the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And that's just the terrible nature of democracy. Yeah. And I think embracing that that dirtiness and even bloodiness of it, I think is part of that a part of accepting the world as it is. Mhm. 
and I and so I think and so here's one of the reasons why I think this is important is if you get offended about political talk at church, then people can't talk about politics at church. Hmm. And and every everything in the world is under God's kingdom. Everything mm-hmm. is relevant to God and everything is a legitimate discussion in the local church and among Christian people right. to figure out what God's will is as best they can together and to seek to do the best they know how to do in the moment. And so right. I would rather see at high point mm-hmm. spirited discussions between mm-hmm. Democrats and Republicans about different policies, about different actions, mm-hmm. people of different races and ethnicities and nationalities, even in different languages. I would rather see that yeah than an apolitical church where politics is never mentioned, never discussed. Yeah. And it should be the place that it happens because that's where, I mean, Jesus has broken down the walls of hostility. So we should be able to do that. (laughs) But we should, and and we should be trying to seek the truth too. Right. So we should should be seeking love and unity. Mm -hmm. We should bring us together, but we should also be seeking the truth. And our convictions aren't all going to be the same as we seek the truth. There are going to be differences in them. And the only Mm -hmm. way to deal with those differences is to discuss them. Because mm-hmm. if you give up on truth, all that's left is power. Right. Right. Christians believe there is a truth that God believes something about everything because God knows the truth about everything. And we're trying to understand the mind of God after him. Right. Mm-hmm. And the best we can do sometimes is we to look at his word and look at the gospel, but then to discuss with each other and to try to figure it out. And so I know lots of people at High Point who have spirited political discussions, in, but they usually have them in person, oftentimes over dinner. Yeah. Um, some some mediums are terrible mediums to have these kind of discussions. Like, for example, obviously Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I, okay, let's end with this. Remember, Jesus doesn't stand with you politically ever. The question is mm-hmm. just, will you stand with him? Right. Jesus mm-hmm. said to Pilate. Pilate said, you know, like, um, whose side are you on? Right. In, in essence, and he, he he said, "Are you a king? Meaning, do you think that you you're in control? Are you do you have power? Are, do you, should you be in charge here?" And Jesus says, "You're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, it was for this reason that I was born, and for this reason that I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And so, politically speaking, Jesus is always going to be on the side of the truth. And so he does, he's only going to stand with us if, if we're on the side of the truth. And, and listen, when the Democrats are on the side of the truth, he's with the Democrats. And when Republicans are on the side of the truth, he's with the Republicans. And it may be that mm-hmm. Democrats and Republicans, sometimes nobody's on the side of the truth. And nobody mm-hmm. knows the side of the truth because they're arguing with each other so, so vehemently to get power that the truth never comes out. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways Christians can engage politically is to not get involved in the mudslinging and the anger and to yeah, say, I want to have a loving and rational and evidence-based and value-based and God-centered mm-hmm. discussion about this and come to the best truth we, we can come to. And it's probably going to involve some compromise because some people are just wired to be bleeding hearts. And they mm-hmm. just want to, they just want to, we got to do something. We got to help. We got to do something. And other people are going to, are wired to be structuralists. And they'll be like, look, mm-hmm. if we don't have some accountability here, if we don't make people step up, they won't. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes mothers and fathers are kind of like that. And God wants both of them in a family. And I think he probably wants both in a political family. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can see statistically that that father figure kind of attitude, we got to have structure. We got to have some rules. We can't just let people walk all over us. That that tends to be percentage wise, more representative among people who vote Republican and the sort of bleeding heart. Like we got to do something. We got to help our baby. That kind of attitude tends to be more represented among people who vote Democrat. And you can also see more women vote Democrat. And more men vote Republican. Mm-hmm. 
right? Those temperaments are some of the most dictate things very heavily and politically. And it's likely that if the nation is in that sense, like a family, we actually need both parties and the people whose Mm -hmm. temperaments and sentiments make up both parties. Mm -hmm. I think it's best to recognize that though in every election, someone has to win that politically in a democracy like ours and in any society, probably if one either group wins, we're going to get dystopia. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that Christians should be super political in that they should understand that. And I think our ultimate, every Christian's ultimate allegiance has to be at least philosophically in their minds and how they're thinking, but also in their heart to the kingdom of God. Mm Mm-hmm even if they don't believe that the role of government is to try to bring the kingdom of God on earth. Yeah. I don't think that. Yeah. For example, but I'm still more committed emotionally that I am part of the kingdom of God in a citizen Mm -hmm. of heaven and also functioning as a citizen of the United States. Mm -hmm. And what that means that the church will look like is that we're not just multicultural or intercultural, but we're interpolitical. To and yes. inter all sorts of things, <laughs> intergenerational, yes. but interpolitical as well. And not interpolitical because we never say anything political. Right. Like, yeah, inter- say, like we pursue multiculturalism. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We pursue multiculturalism by speaking a lot about cultures and races mm-hmm. and differences to try to create a conflict, a, con- a situation in which people can come together. I think mm-hmm. politically it's the same thing. I think that right. we should be saying a lot of political things and talking about these sorts of social issues and stuff like that And we sh- in order to help us come together. I don't think silence is actually the way. Yeah, but I you also have to don't know think, each other. Yeah. But I also don't, I don't think those... Right, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. But those three things that I said are bad are bad and, and like we're right to dislike them. I mm-hmm. think when churches engage in political action and speech, it is often those three things. And when it's those three things, I think people are right to not like it. And to say, let's mm-hmm. not do this as a church. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Yep. That's good. All right. Any last other final thoughts, Nick? That's always a dangerous yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's why I said other final thoughts. It seemed like you had them all Yeah. I, no, I, I, I just encourage people to read the blog. Yeah. And I encourage people to consider the news sources they pay attention to mm-hmm. and how those sources may be shaping them and capturing them. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think if you are captured by a news source, and that news source is giving you a view of the world that you are committing yourself to by faith. That news source could be a kind of religion for you that mm-hmm. is functioning like an idol that is competing with Christ for your allegiance. And mm-hmm. I want to encourage you, whether it's Fox News or CNN or NPR or whatever it is, I don't care what it is. Um, if it is affecting your worldview in a way that is that it is a type of idol, you need to do something about that mm-hmm. forthwith. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Another thing you guys can look into again is Secret Church coming up on April 24th. And you can find that on our website in the events. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being with us, you guys, during this conversation. And we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Yep. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. 
We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.